This is the Mobile Tech Podcast, brought to you by worldpodcasts.com. Now here's your host, tech girl, Miriam Jouar. Hi, and welcome to the Mobile Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Miriam Jouar. And today is Tuesday, May 28th, 2019. I'm in Taipei for Computex. And my guests are Don McGuire of Qualcomm and Michelle Roman of XCA Developers. So uh, how is everybody feeling? Really great. Day three here. So uh, yeah. good. Good Computex for everyone. Yeah. Well, I'm actually heading out tonight. Yeah, oh, wow. After, after okay. all the mobile focus products from Qualcomm, Asus, ARM, and everyone else have been kind of already taken care of before the show actually started today. I'm going to call it for me so far, the big announcements have really been around Qualcomm. And I mean, as a person who focuses on ultra mobility, right? Not just phones, but like yeah. devices that are on the go, whatever the form factor might be. I feel that uh, the news has been that. I mean, I mean you know, we want to talk about Asus news later because mm-hmm. you're not staying for the whole thing, Don. Right. But like, walk us through kind of maybe what the intention was with uh, the big announcement here at Qualcomm sure. and what people should get out of it because I, I kind of have some really good thoughts about the performance and and kind of ultra extreme mobility that, that the platform brings to the table. Sure. Um, well, Computex is a great, um, it's a great forum to make these types of announcements because historically the show has been very rooted in compute. Um, so whether it's mobile compute or um, more legacy sort of compute, um, it's, it's a good audience and a good forum to make these types of announcements and to get this news across. So we were really happy that we were able to intersect with Computex. We're, it's really, for, what, for Qualcomm, it's really important for us to show the progress of the innovation that we're bringing to market in this category and that we're continually moving forward. Um, as I think Alex said in his comments in our press conference yesterday, you know, we just started this two and a half years ago. Um, really sort of moving into the mobile compute space. And in, ju- in a short period of time, there's been a tremendous amount of innovation, faster than the historic PC sort of ecosystem has moved in the last 25 years. So let's walk people through this a little bit, because I think people don't understand what really what we're talking about here at the core is that most people have laptops and two-in-ones that run Windows, and they yes. want to stay on that great platform, right? right? Um, I mean, there's a lot of Mac users as well. And Apple is certainly working on some sort of ARM-based version of the Mac that has been rumored for a long time. Right. But on the Windows side, you and primarily Qualcomm and Microsoft got together at one point right. and said, we need ARM on Windows. And this is not a new idea. The right. original Surface was an ARM on Windows, uh, sorry, Windows on ARM right. platform, but it didn't run standard Windows and, and you know, legacy executables. There was right. no emulation layer. Fast forward a few years. Right. And ARM is, you know, rules the world. I mean, that's obvious. And so uh, people like us that are all technical people are like, when are we going to see laptops? And instead of running x86, they're going to be running ARM, but also running Windows properly. Sure. And I think you guys broke into that with the Snapdragon 835 Correct. version right. of, of the mobile platform. Right. And then, uh, you know, later, a year later or so, you launched a Snapdragon 850 mobile platform, right. which I actually have a device here, Lenovo C630, Yoga C630. Um, and... You know, the I didn't try this, the 835, but I know that with the 850, you are really starting to get in the realm of like, for light computing, you don't notice much of a difference, even with emulation. Right. And now at at um, at uh, Qualcomm's event in Hawaii in right. December Tech Summit. last right. year, 2018, you announced 
the new platform, the HCX, right. right? And then of course there's all 5G stuff, we can talk about that. Right. But the HCX is really beginning to be positioned as a true competitor, right? Right. And so um, that's kind of the roadmap so far. Yeah. And it's pretty you, exciting. You should come work for us. Well, Miriam, you did a great job, like explaining the whole roadmap. It's by fantastic. all means, we can <laughs> talk. Fantastic. So um, yeah, you're, you're exactly right. And again, it's showing that progress and that evolution. Um, we didn't, you know, we had to start somewhere. So yeah. we started with 835, but then we quickly understood, uh, got feedback, understood where the issues were, understood where we had to make improvements. And uh, 850 was a nice step in that direction. And 850 was really the first time you customized more yes. to the kind of mobile computing that's needed for Windows and for laptop yeah. and two-in-ones yeah. versus the mobile computing that we have on our phones. Right. Which have slightly different requirements, obviously, right? Yeah, absolutely. So it was, it was, it's almost like 835 was sort of a repurposed mobile platform. 850 was a semi-custom. And HCX is built from the ground up, yeah. 100%. I mean, that chip looks like a, it's a massive for a phone. It would yeah. never fit in a phone, Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah. Well, you got a monster GPU, you got our fastest CPU uh, that we've ever built, right, in this platform, um, but specifically for these devices. And it's seven nanometers. And it's seven nanometer. Which right? is the first. Which uh, is the first. Chip for a laptop yep. or two-in-one that is seven. Yes. So the... So people are basically the takeaway here, I think, is people are going to be able to buy very soon in a year, less than a year. Yes. Um, these uh, laptop equipped with that, with that platform, that chipset. Yeah. Um, and will not feel or notice any difference in performance, even right. on apps that are emulated. Right. Uh, because you have to emulate. Those of you who might not know what we're talking about, Apple did this transition. They went from right. a Motorola to PowerPC, then from PowerPC to Intel. And it was a pretty seamless transition. They were the first to show the industry, hey, if you apply yourself, you can do this relatively right. seamlessly for the users. Yes, I mean, emulation is not ideal. And yes, it, there's a bit of a performance hit. But at the same time, you know, um, Microsoft worked really hard to make it easy for developers to rebuild their apps yep. and programs uh, to run native. Yep. And and those are the critical apps like the web browsers and Office. and uh, But the other stuff, the nice thing is you can still run that legacy Windows 32 program that you had in 1999 right. that's custom for your enterprise or something. Right. And that's to me what's got me excited. It's like... You know, eventually Apple did drop emulation support because everybody moved on. Right. But I think you got in, you guys are in that early phase right now. Yeah, right. And I think it's it's exciting because what you're bringing to the table is threefold, right? You've got, you know, extreme portability yeah. in the sense of like a battery life, connectivity, right? Right. Slim and light because there's no these are fanless systems. Absolutely. Yeah. And what what we saw at Computex, and and I would love to to, to know what you think, Michelle, is we saw a performance that essentially overpasses a Core i5 laptop. Right. And that kind of blew me away, frankly. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And like I said, we, we, we announced it at Tech Summit, right? Um, and um, got everyone excited about the possibility. And then we fast forward about five and a half months, and we're now showing it. It's actually working. And, and we're delivering on the promises that we made at Tech Summit. Um, and super pleased with the performance that we're getting. Um, super happy with the work that we're doing with UL benchmarking um, to create more benchmarks that are really about user experiences and not about synthetics. Um, this this category, this industry has has been built upon synthetic benchmarking for 25 years. It means absolutely nothing to the end user. To the end user. Now that you're ultra mobile, right? Yeah. Like it, you, you need battery life. You need instant on. You need right. uh, LTE or 5G connectivity as soon as you're turn on right. or as soon as you open the lid, as I like to say. Right. And so those are things that still most x86 based laptops, you know, it 
if unless you've used like if you compare your phone's behavior to an x86 laptop's behavior or even a even a mac the macs are pretty streamlined on x86 at instant on and everything right but even if you do that you're like there is a bit of a delay there it's right. not huge but it's there and your phone is way faster at reconnecting being on yeah continuing with whatever else it was doing. Right. And Location I think that's, that's kind of what you bring to the table. And it's yeah. required some pretty big changes in Windows, right? Because yes. Windows wasn't originally architected for that kind of behavior. No. Like with the lid closed, you can go fetch emails. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. So it's been a nice collaboration. We both have been, you know, both Microsoft and ourselves have been learning both from each other, from the ecosystem, from our OEM partners, from consumer feedback, market feedback, fan feedback from people like you guys. Um, and it's all been really a nice collection that's helped us move forward. The HCX is, is amazing platform. Um, it's going to bring all those initial benefits like the instant on, the always connected, the great battery life, um, as well as this, this extreme level of performance that is really sustained performance so that you can do what you want to do in a mobile environment, anywhere, anytime, um, not based on synthetics, but based on real, real world sort of use cases. Um, and so we believe it's the perfect sort of intersection uh, for these thin and light two-in-one designs for the mobile compute space, right? For this, the only part of the PC ecosystem that's growing besides gaming, you know, high-end gaming is this space. So um, we're excited about it for consumers to start getting these devices in their hands for back to school. We're excited about enterprise. Um, you mentioned Miriam earlier about productivity and work. And we, we showed some numbers on the productivity increases that you can get by having a device that can act, that can act like this. Um, everything from location aware to syncing in the background, it saves time for people. And because people are so used to that from their phones, we've asked ourselves this question forever, which is why shouldn't you expect the same thing from your PC? And you're going to, and some people listening, I say, well, you can get an x86 laptop with 4G connectivity. And that's absolutely certain. But to me, it's not quite the same because yeah. you're, you don't have that fully integrated, uh, kind of like, I don't know. It's, it's like your phone, your phone just doesn't have to reconnect. Right. It's still there. It's right. still on the network. Maybe like dormant, but it's right. on the network. Right. Whereas you really kind of feel like when you have an x86 based laptop that has, you know, connectivity that it's like, oh, it's got to renegotiate with the network. And right. now it's like, you know, it's, it's just like that pause you get. Yeah. And it still hibernates because the, the whole architecture of x86 is about has to, you have to shut down to save battery. Right. Right. You have to shut down to save battery because if you don't, your battery's going to last an hour. Yeah. Right. And, and not even the four hours, which is on average what people get out of an X86 machine. So with with obviously our platforms, like you mentioned about smartphones, just being aware and being always on and always connected. Even It's about low power and about power efficiency. It's about doing all those things and those tasks, but doing it at a very, very low power you know, perspective or way so that you don't have to worry about your battery life. So this balance of performance and power is something that we've kind of architected, we've sort of created, we've been messaging out there that you don't have to give up great battery life to have better performance. Right. By the way, your device should act like your smartphone. The best, bringing the best of the smartphone to the PC is wow. not, wow, <laughs> lightning strike for those of you out yeah, there. It's what right next um, to us. Very close to us. Is not just about adding a modem to a machine. Yeah. Right. That's not creating an always No, I mean, you're, it's, it's, an, it's an architectural shift right, right. And, it's an architecture. and i mean look intel can probably do the same but they just don't have that expertise right? right it's not what they know how to do right and and i think that to me and you know this is i mean we're talking about qualcomm obviously we've been leading that storm but i think arm itself enables all this in right. a significant way sure. i mean of course you have your own custom arm implementation which right. is kind of 
awesome because right. you've been doing it for a long time, right? Right, exactly. But Michelle, what do you think? What is your takeaway from your experience so far with, with the, you know, seeing these benchmarks and everything, especially like we have PC Mark 10. Is that actually announced at Computex as yes, part so of we, this? Yes. So UL owns PC Mark now right. and 3D Mark. Right. And they announced a new benchmark, which is a much better than synthetic. It shows yes. really real case use. So how's you, what's, you're like kind of XDA developers. You guys dig deep into like benchmark. <laughs> I want to know how do you feel like, oh, this is annoying me because I want to know what it's like really happening in the chips. Or do you feel like it's more like, okay, this says it really helps people because actually they can see what the reality is. Personally, I'm really excited about the generational improvements I've seen from the 835 to the 850 and now the 8CX, although we haven't had the opportunity to actually play around with them in detail. But um, as you mentioned, you have to strike a balance between performance and great battery life. And as we've seen, the early reviews of the 835 and 850 powered Windows and ARM laptops weren't too uh, pleasing, I guess. Right. To Qualcomm. I mean, there was definitely improvements to be made and we're seeing that happen with the 8CX. The, right. the, the actual real world performance that we've seen with like a, the prototype laptop that was connected to two monitors, having Photoshop yeah. running, yeah. Edge, PowerPoint, Word, Excel, all at the same time. Like that's, that's what we want to see. That's yeah. what the average user wants. Uh, but and we're finally side, at that point. As an aside, you can, I'll put in the show notes, there's a video I made that actually shows that happening. The the HCX laptop, a 1080p display connected to 4K displays and doing doing a bunch of work. And you can yep. see that. You can see how well it performs. Yeah. Um, but, you know, for me, what's interesting, you said something interesting. It's true. There's the reviews on the 835 and 850 based laptops where it kind of lukewarm. But, you know, my travel laptop is a 12-inch MacBook original, right? right? Which is by, in the Mac world, probably the most underpowered machine you can buy. And so I've adapted for portability. I've adapted to using that machine primarily for my audio and video and photo editing needs to be very lightweight in my use. Right. And I think because of that, taking that workflow to an 850, I've never tried the 835, was manageable because the tools I have, are, I've learned to scale them for low performance platform. And so I didn't notice a huge difference. Where I noticed a lot of difference with the 850 was a lot of tabs in a non-native web browser. Right. But as soon as I installed Firefox Nightly compiled for ARM64, I felt like I was actually stepping up for me in my MacBook on the 850 to something that felt more like uh, an old iMac, like, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so like I could open more tabs and, and things were just a little more responsive. And, and to me, that's the thing. I think that had these reviewers used a native web browser, which really didn't happen until, I mean, I got my review in it like right after December, right. I, Bernie hooked me up. And then for the first few weeks, it was like, not very pleasant to use. And then finally sent me the link to the pre-built nightlies. Yeah. And I was just like, oh, I'm going to try that. And then since then, I've been using it a lot more because actually like I feel the performance is what, what mm -hmm. I expect. So if that yeah. can happen on the 850, I can only imagine what's going to happen on the HCX. So one thing I wanted to say on the performance, um, I'm really not the kind of guy who upgrades his PC every year, you know, buys a latest You're part. You're not? That's Buys a new laptop every year. <laughs> so I'm coming from like a time where... Uh, you know, the old old laptops, maybe like six, seven years ago, ran terribly on like low end, um, low end hardware. Like Windows didn't run really well at all. And the best bet if you want, didn't want to spend thousands of dollars was to buy like a Chromebook. Right. Right. And so I've been dealing with Chrome OS for years since then because that's just what I've gotten I used like to. I like Chrome OS. And I want to ask yeah, you I love Chrome OS. in a minute. And that's something I've been looking forward to. Like, finally, will Qualcomm be able to deliver something that we can run a Qualcomm chip on a Chromebook? 
But now I'm starting to see the ATX is doing so well that maybe I should give Windows another shot. Windows and ARM and the ATX seem to be a match made in heaven. Like it's powerful enough to where I don't I don't have to resort to Chrome OS just to get that speed. I don't have to suffer anymore. At, at yeah, this, exactly. Dealing with the laptop Absolutely. that doesn't cost two thousand dollars. Yeah, I think, and that's a great point, um, Michelle, on the, on on Chrome and and Chrome OS and where it's where it's gone. So what we believe is we no longer have a hardware issue. The issue is not hardware. Right. Um, you talked about Firefox, obviously, being recompiled for ARM. And, and since they released it, it's been amazing. It's really now about software. It's really about creating, uh, about um, having the, the engines and the foundational layers um, recompiled for ARM. So Chromium, Unity, some of these big engines. Right. So you announced so, Unity. This, right. We announced this week, Unity right? here at Unity the show. Unity is these, now ARM 64 right. Windows compatible. Exactly. Woo. Chromium, right? Yep. Um, uh, Electron, right? For, for apps like Slack and stuff. So all those foundational sort of um, building blocks have now been ported or recompiled. So now the app development community that develops on all those can feel free to, re and then the work is actually very, very small. Right. Um, for the developer oh, to yeah. actually do that, do the work. So now we've kind of said, okay, we clear all these hurdles on the foundational layer. App development community, go to town. Like recompile, it's super so easy, it's super fast. Being, I mean, obviously the, the yeah. core is like Unity and you know all of those Chromium yeah. are obviously makes a lot of sense that they right. would really push hard on that. Right. But are you seeing like small developers? I mean, okay. I was thinking small, but it's not really small. I'm thinking Adobe, but but I'm saying like you see other developers that are maybe not, maybe not as much in the limelight as the web browser providers and the right. the game engine providers jumping on board. Uh, yeah, I think we've seen really good progress there. I mean, the, the, our focus has always been you know on the top 100 apps you know that are used by by Windows users, and the one thing that's great about Microsoft is they have all this great telemetry data. So they know exactly what users are doing, what they're using. Um, and so that's been a guiding light for us to, to, to go after um, instead of trying to boil the ocean because, you know, there's this long tail of, of x86 applications that have, to your point earlier, have existed since the 80s and, gonna, and 90s. And there's five people using them, right, still. And, and so we're not going to address those no. now. No, what no. we're trying to address is what, is what do people use? So those top 100, then top 200, then top 300 apps. And I think we're making great progress there. One of the things that I wanted to, um, to mention is, look, app developers historically, when you ask them to do anything, their first question is scale. Like, how many users can I get, right? right. Um, because to, app, to the app development case, it's all about as many users as possible. It's all about it's scale. Everybody um, has users. You know, <laughs> even, even ask the app teams at Google. Like, you know, it's all about scale. Give me a billion users and I'll talk to you or whatever. So it's um, so it's about scale. Um, so we do need to scale. But I think what you're going to see over the next couple months um, is now that we've kind of got the electrons and the chromiums and um, and the Unity's all announced and out there, I think you're going to see some very interesting applications. So do we, we, um, we also come out and announce that they're recompiling for so ARM we need Microsoft in a big and, way? Yeah, we need Microsoft. Office and we need the CC suite, right? From yeah. Team, right? Well, so Teams and Office, I think, are taking care, are yeah. taken okay. care so of. Okay, so that's good. Um, but I think that there is, you're going to see some announcements okay. by some very, you might have mentioned them a couple times already today, um, app developers that are- um, John's excited, guys. Are, uh, are uh, <laughs> going to be announcing- You can't see it here. right now because it's an audio and, show, but and, I'm telling uh, you, Don's excited. And in, 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 um, in cooperation with some, with some really cool devices that are going to be okay, cool. as well. So, so yeah, let's let's talk about that. There's I have two things before you know we wrap up your segment. Sure. The one thing I want to talk about is five G and and that how okay. that's also another thing that you bring to the table. That right. even if you're not looking at 
you know, uh, if you're just looking at 4G, of course you're there. But 5G, you get the whole 5G side of things as well. Yeah. But I also want to talk to you about something that Michelle brought up, which is the the Chrome the Chrome OS side. Mm -hmm. I love Chromebooks and I use them a lot, primarily because if I just need to be in a web browser, it's just great. It's just a great, great experience, right? Mm -hmm. um, especially since my universe is heavily in, in, in Google services. Right. Are we going to potentially see HCX Chromebooks with connectivity? There's no reason why we can't. Right. That technically um, there isn't, but like, yeah. we haven't heard much talk about this because obviously the focus has been on Microsoft, which is great because right. that's where the bread and butter is for right. everyone, right? Yeah. I mean, I I I think you will. Um, the Chrome situation inside of Google is has been a little mysterious. Okay. Um, Interesting. You know, they've they've gotten rid of people and they've they've sort of I don't I think that they're still struggling. You know, to to do is what we did with Windows. Took took a lot of leaning in by Microsoft. Right, they had to lean in, and they had to they had to assign resources. Um, they had to collaborate with us. Um, this has been a partnership. It's been a really really good partnership with Microsoft. We we need the same thing with Chrome. There are different issues, right? Of course, some some lesser um, and some not so, but we need them to lean in. Um, and I think Google's a little. I don't know if they're preoccupied or whatever the word you're looking for, but they're 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 doing a bunch of stuff, right? And and, and mean, so and and they're leaning in with us on five G right. in a really big way, um, but but we haven't sort of I think really struck struck that balance with the Chrome team right. to really enable the Chrome the ecosystem of Chromebooks to just easily deploy. Now another thing that's going to help is and again you'll hear this in the next several months from us is as we fill in our roadmap. Yeah. So HCX is going to be that that north star, that that guiding light, right? But then, in order for us to really scale from a volume perspective in this category over time, we have to fill in our roadmap. So we have to go from you know eight hundred dollar plus devices all the way down to so three hundred dollar devices, yeah. where a lot of Chromebooks live, by the way. Um, and so, uh, so you'll see some new platforms oh, announcements yeah. coming from us soon, um, which will then I think unlock. A lot of the Chrome six CX, six CX, seven CX. So you'll see. I think you'll see that. Okay. And um, that's another thing I think that will help um, OEMs say, "Hmm, I, I might do a design on this platform, and I might do a Windows design and a Chrome design." Ah. Um, and so, um, so I think we'll see that as we start to go um, wider Got and broader. Um, uh, as now that HCX has been sort of solidified, so you're, I think there's a lot of great stuff coming down the pipe and. I'm sure we'll see you in Hawaii, and I'm sure we'll have lots of good stuff to talk about there, awesome. and even before that. Yeah. Um, and uh, and we look really. We, what I look forward to is I've seen the first set of HCX designs, and they're amazing. Right. That's um, what from we awesome were, OEMs. That they're basically right? what we were imagining when you announced 835 for yeah. for uh, for laptops back yeah. then. We have we have some great partners that are going to be launching HCX designs into the market um, that are from. Great again, great brands. Um, so we're really looking forward to that. That's awesome. And then you said five, something about five G. Well, to... I wanted to talk touch on how the HCX platform is really optimized for use with five G. Yeah. Right. I mean, just like the eight, um, you know, eight fifty five mobile platform is. You know, you guys have really worked hard to to do that and to right. make it possible. So I think that's kind of what I'm excited about as well. Is that yeah. you've announced this uh, you know news with Lenovo of launching right. a five G capable. DC. So you yeah. want to talk about that briefly? Sure. Yeah. I mean, again, Lenovo has been a great partner um, since the very beginning. They were with us with Wave One with the 835 devices, um, realizing, you know, again, that we were it's a place to start. 
you, you know, you got to start somewhere and then you improve over time. So they've been a great partner. Um, they were super excited about about doing this Project Limitless with us, about bringing the first uh, you know, 5G capable PC to market, um, announcing it. Um, by the way, it's not only the first 5G PC, it's the first device on the planet with our X55 modem in it. Right. And that's, so we that's, announced X55 at MWC. Correct. It's, it's the first device that actually has a working X55 in it before phone. Right. Which is pretty amazing. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, so, again, super excited about that. Um, the fact that it's working, the fact that it's on Chunghua, a great partner here in Taiwan of ours too, ha- you know, great, happily built us a sub six, 5G network here at the W, which is fantastic. <laughs> um, and, and he, cause they haven't launched commercially. Taiwan hasn't launched 5G no, no, yet. Like, so right? like 2020. Yeah. yeah 20, so it's, yeah. it's 2020. So, so it's pre-commercial, but, um, but they were great about doing that. So being able to show that off, uh, has been, has been great. And that's just going to unlock a whole new world of experiences. Um, right, the 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 low latency, the super fast speed, and the ultra reliability and security that five G is going to bring to the PC ecosystem and the compute ecosystem is just going to unlock a whole myriad of experiences from cloud gaming, right, right to a lot of enterprise stuff, private networks. Um, I think there's, that's I think be there's a little bit more to the story. I think I feel like uh, people are missing out on this. A lot of people are looking at this device, the Project Limitless, as yes. it's called. And they say, oh, it looks like a Yoga C60 rebadge. And it, it, first of all, it's not the final product. It's not right? the final product. Secondly, yes, it does look like it, but I've actually looked at some photos now and it's thicker and yes. by a little bit because it's a prototype. Yeah. And it's slightly, de- it's generally the le- design language of the C60, yeah. 630, but it's very different. It's very slightly different. wider. There's a few things. Anyway, yeah. so don't, don't lock your brain onto that design. Yeah. It's, the, it's, it's the idea and the product. Yeah. It's a representation. We're going to get a very polished device yeah. out of it. It's a representation. In fact, what, what you should really look at is the reference design that Compaq built. Oh, which was know, right next they, to it. Can they make it? Can Lenovo make a white version like that? I don't because, know. They could. I mean, I mean, it looks so white with gray keys yeah. or silver keys was really dope. Yeah, it was really um, cool. I mean, yeah. and, and I mean, that was a super small, super thin yeah, that's uh, really PC. Nice. And that it, it supports both millimeter wave and subset. Yeah, so that's mm. the other thing a lot of people didn't touch on because your partners here at, at the W for this demo was Changhua, which is sub six. Right. This is both millimeter and sub six, yeah, which both is millimeter and sub a chassis. And you have a lot of real estate in that chassis, so the performance should be really outstanding yeah it's, so we're excited yeah. about it well that's cool well listen thanks for being on the show yeah, thanks I for mean, having me. yeah and, and thanks for thanks for having us here as well yeah, and sure. i feel like you know i've been waiting so long and hard for this i'm super stoked and i'm really right. also hoping apple uh brings an arm device to the table that's not an ios device because right. some of us just really need that heavy lifting right of using you know a a full compute experience and and it's nice to have choices chrome windows right and maybe macOS. so yeah, you know absolutely. now you guys are in good terms with apple again yes. so you're friends ooh, again x55 on the next <laughs> macbook is what i want that'd be killer and that'd be amazing <laughs> all right well thanks so much don and uh, we'll be right back with michelle for the news thanks for having me so, Michelle, what are your thoughts? I mean, you know, having done, it's hard when I have execs on a show. People are going to listen to the podcast. Like, oh, Mary, you're so enthusiastic. You're so friendly and likely uh, and, and liking. Of, <laughs> I'm like, look, I have been looking forward to ARM Windows, full Windows on ARM that actually works properly and reliably for so long. I cannot not get excited about this. Mm-hmm. Like, yes, you know, it's Qualcomm, it's marketing. We're like rah, rah, rahing here. But it's not rah rah rahing. There's so many implications involved here. That's what I think is really critical. Seriously, I mean, I just want to reiterate what I said before. 
the experience of Windows on lower end, uh, mid range hardware was awful back then. I mean, I took just to improve performance, I would install uh, Neverware's uh, Cloud Ready, which is like their Chrome Chromium OS fork, just to make the performance not terrible on older hardware. And like now, finally, with HCX on in Windows and ARM, things seem like it's tolerable now. I'm impressed with the fact that we're seeing slightly better performance on an i5 that is on a fanless design. Exactly, right? That's like, what, like, a lot of people are not looking at that part. Like, forget the 4G and the 5G. Like, I mean, not everybody needs that connectivity. Right. It's nice to have, you know, forget the instant on. My, my Macs and most Windows laptops at XX are pretty much, for all practical purposes, instant on. Um, but it's more like the stuff about, you know, being able to run cool on a thin and light where you don't have to design a chassis that is thermally throttling your device. Like exactly. Apple has this problem with x86 right now, where when they built the MacBook Pro, Dave 2D talked about it in the last video, we reviewed the Core i9 MacBook Pro, the new one. And, and he's like, it's actually a great video, I don't know if you watch it, because <laughs> it starts with him uh, pretending to have been abducted by Apple and forced to make a statement in front of the camera. It's <laughs> Definitely, really I'll check that out. Yeah. Anyway, I'll link the video in the show notes. But uh, <laughs> so... So like basically he's one of his uh, points that he makes that I think is really interesting is that he says it looks like the design from 2016 now, whenever it was the MacBook Pro design, uh, like the, the physical enclosure design is no longer capable of handling the chips that Intel is making basically. Like it's that, that new MacBook Pro is doing much better with thermal management than any previous MacBook Pro, but he's saying, they are stuck in that super thin, super mm -hmm. light chassis that they developed back in the day when they didn't really know where the Intel roadmap was exactly going. And you can feel that. And you are not, you're not going to avoid this completely. You still have to design for thermals with the ACX, right? And, and you're not talking about the same class of chips anyway here. But, right. but my point is that if you have no need for a fan, instantly your design choices broaden significantly. Right, and as we saw with the uh, initial performance benchmarks, they mentioned that they could have the sustained performance without throttling, which is pretty incredible. As you mentioned, like all these design considerations have to be taken into account. We're getting all these super thin laptops, um, but it comes at a compromise of sustained performance. They have to throttle eventually. You'll hear the fans kick in. You might feel the device getting warm. And I yeah. don't feel like with Qualcomm approaching things from the bottom up, from smartphones, from much smaller devices and they're coming into the realm of go, laptops. They can only they go figure off, this out. Right. They have so much headroom before they hit a ceiling compared to Intel, who's already kind of touching the ceiling and headroom. Right. And and you know, and I, like that's why I get so excited and I sound like I'm a peon for Qualcomm in my show at the it was really <laughs> I don't want to sound like it, but I do believe it's not just Qualcomm. This could be any other company making ARM chips right now. I'd be excited. But you don't see MediaTek going out there and working on Windows laptops. Right? Maybe they are. Maybe I don't know about it. But like my point is like we need that to happen. Like Intel can no longer have the monopoly on Windows PCs because it's not until they can come up with an architecture that is as competitive, it's just not gonna happen. You can't, we can't, we're in a world where ultra efficiency in terms of power thermals, con connectivity, battery life, and thinness and lightness are going to become absolutely the standards for all mobile computers. In fact, we've even seen gaming laptops shrinking down in size and weight and thickness um, because that's the way it's going. So, you know, it's not like, yeah, you can make a 
chunky laptop that has the best performance in the world, but who's going to buy and lug that around, you know? Especially when it has only like two hours of battery life. Exactly. So anyway, there's a bunch of topics. Let's talk about the first thing that this freshest thing that you brought up before the show just started, which is the Moto Z4 suddenly went on sale on oh Amazon. Boy. Yeah, was it? yeah. Best Buy. It's uh, suddenly appeared out of nowhere on Amazon. You can actually buy it right now. It showed up like hours and hours ago and it still hasn't been taken down. And oh, so it's already it's shipping. Do mis- you think it's a mistake? No, it's not. I don't think it's a mistake. I mean, it's, it's just, if you click on the link, it's probably still up there. You click on the purchase for, from Amazon link. It's probably still up there I right now. Look, let's see. Uh, no. Oh, no, it's gone. It's gone. <laughs> it's gone. Anyway. Well, anyway, it was up for a while. And some guy on Reddit posted a hands on. He apparently already bought it somehow. Maybe he noticed it before anyone else. It's amazing. And he already has a hands on. He has sample photos and everything. All the specs are posted. So let's talk about the specs. So this looks to me. So first of all, what's the price? Four ninety nine. So four ninety hundred dollars more than a Pixel three A, and so very close to the Pixel three XL, and in size very close to the Pixel three right. XL. So what's interesting here? I'm going to read you the specs real quick. Uh, you, the audience, uh, Snapdragon six seventy five because I know you already saw. Uh, so so six seventy five is just a little slightly better version than the six seventy we have in the Pixel three A's. Correct. Um, four gigs of RAM and one hundred twenty gigs of storage. That sounds very similar to the Pixel as well, except it's got sixty four gigs. Mm-hmm. Um, Pixel 3a again, we're comparing because the prices are very similar. Uh, 6.4 inch OLED with 1080p, ding, ding, ding. But this is pretty much a Pixel 3a XL competitor in terms of almost everything here. Uh, and has a 40, that uh, 48 megapixel sensor. We don't know if it's a Sony IMX586. Maybe, maybe I not. believe it's, an, be Omni, it's an Omnivision oh. sensor. Oh God. Save or no, us. Q technology, I think. Because Omnivision was in bed with Motorola for a long time, and we got some terrible cameras out of that partnership. No offense to any Omnivision employees listening. <laughs> uh, but it just never... Well, I'm hoping it's actually the Samsung or the Sony, because honestly, those are great sensors. Right. Um, so quad pixel thing, uh, maybe that's what... They, maybe it is. I mean, you know, quad pixel could be Motorola's branding. Uh, and that's that. And of course, it's a... Moto Mod compatible. compatible. Headphone uh, actually, jack? Does it have a headphone jack like the Leaks? I don't think... I'm because not sure if it the, does. the Leaks had a headphone jack. I think um, so. So, I mean, there's a... I'll put the link in the show notes. There is a video one, there as well. There's one interesting thing about the video. You'll notice um, on the Moto Mod compatibility, the person who purchased it early noticed that there's like a little gap between where the mod sits and the device itself. So even though it's compatible and it fits, it's not really like a tight fit. It's kind of like... St- Sticking out of it a little bit. It's really weird. What, the mods? Are yeah, the mod. Yeah, it feels like it's not fully, you know, doesn't feel fully fit together. That's weird. You definitely got to check it out in the video. Like, so that can't, the images. That, maybe it's a defective one you got. I'm really not sure. because It doesn't seem like this is supposed to Does go the, up. Do the mods work? It looks like it because the guy put it on. You could hear the, the, like, the connection sound. Uh, he mentioned he tested his battery mod first. Interesting. But yeah, it just went up out of nowhere this morning and no announcement, no tweets, no social media, no YouTube posts, no nothing. All right. Well, we got a lot to, more to cover, so I'm going to kind of rapid fire it. Let's talk about Computex. We got we should at least spend 10, 15 minutes on that. We're at Computex 2019 and it is uh, the same old. It's the PC show mostly. So we're both mobile first kind of people, more, more phone centric. Uh, unlike last year where we got the ROG phone announced, this year there really hasn't been any phone announcements and that, that's not unusual for Computex. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're here more for like 
I'm here because my interest in mobile tech, mobile tech podcast, is about all things mobile. So phones primarily, but wearables, headphones, laptops, two-in-ones, tablets. I include cars because I think, especially electric cars, there are mobile devices you get into that ferry you around rather than put in your pocket, but they're they're mobile device, they're mobility device. (laughs) So um, let's talk about basically beyond all the Qualcomm news, which you've heard at length, there's been obviously ASUS. This is a turf yes. of ASUS. This is their hometown. So ASUS kind of always drives the show pretty strongly here. And it's been pretty mellow for them this year. Like right. I feel like normally you kind of come to Computex for the spectacle that's going to be the ASUS press conference. Like it, they know how to put a show. They're like, like kind of like Apple is. They know how to do a good presentation. And Johnny Shi, who's usually the guy on stage, is a super charismatic dude, right? So, of course, I went to the press conference last night, and it was just the same awesome show. I was there with David and Mel, our good friend, who's been on the podcast many times, and we just had a blast. Uh, so, in terms of news, what they announced was, let's talk about the phone stuff first, quickly. So, recently, the Zenbo- the Zenfone 6 was launched. Oh, yeah. And I talked about that on a podcast last week with Joshua Vergara, and they announced the 30th edition 30th anniversary edition mm-hmm. called the edition 30 of the Zenfone 6, which instead of having that kind of bland looking back with the blue, weird, weird blue font Asus logo has the spun metal finish on the back. I don't know if it's metal or plastic. Is it, is, is it glass as in the Zenfone 6? Have you played with one? I haven't I, played with one. I think it's I played still with glass. one, but it was in a case. So I don't know if it was glass or plastic in right. the back. I would assume that it's glass because that's the standard these days. But this is, might not, when I say it's spun metal, it looks like spun metal is probably glass. I don't expect it to be metal on the back. That would be a kind of weird to go back to a metal phone these days. But anyway, it's got 12 gigs of RAM, like, what is it, like 250? 512. 512? Is it 512? I think it's 512, I mean, it's, yeah. it's insane. Um, so that's one thing they announced along with two other 30th editions, the edition 30 products, a laptop, which is basically a ZenBook 13, but it's a bespoke one and it's covered in white leather and it's, they claim it's the smallest 13 inch laptop in the world. I don't know what smallest means. Is it thin? Is it light? Is it narrow width? What, what is, we, I haven't seen it, so I don't know. Um, and then there is a motherboard. <laughs> they announced the freaking motherboard, a 30th anniversary motherboard. That was basically the, the things we didn't know were coming. The things we knew were coming because we got briefed the day prior, was that crazy ZenBook Pro, Pro Duo. Duo. Oh, and boy. I know you're not a laptop guy, but I want to kind of know, like, just throw it out there. What is your, <laughs> what do you think of that thing? I have a video, I'll link it in the show notes, check it out, but I want I want to hear what you think. So I saw your hands-on video, and I just want to say I have no idea what they're doing. Like the, tra- the trackpad is on the right side, and as you mentioned, that's not very ergonomically friendly for But they've lefties. done that with their Zephyrus uh rog laptops yeah why i don't know that's exactly the keyboard is so like stretched it's so small so there's actually a wrist pad a wrist pad accessory you can buy that who would why would you why would you carry that for a laptop i know a zenbook especially which is supposed to be an ultra portable but did you see how thick that Uh is that is not an ultra portable and the uh the the little like the screen but it's a 4k in in you know horizontal dimensions yeah. yeah Why? Why? Like we saw bare, people barely use the MacBooks, like the MacBooks, uh, touchpad thing, touch bar, touch bar, whatever it's called. And like, uh, I don't see this being very useful. There's just not a lot you can do with it. 
Like I saw you put like a Windows Explorer. So so, so let me folder. actually walk you through some of the use cases because I wasn't able to capture this in my video. So okay, for those of you who don't want to watch the video or just like want the just quick get gist of it, imagine a laptop. Like take a MacBook with a touch bar. Imagine you sh you you grow the, the the touch bar in height so that it's about ten times taller than it is, right? And you shift the keyboard to the front edge of the computer. You move the trackpad to the right. So now you have the keyboard and the front with the trackpad to the right front. And then the half of the top of the, you know, the, the bottom half of the laptop, half of that is a display that's a 4K width, but half the height of the display that's on the lid. So the display on the lid is actually really nice. It's a 4K OLED panel. And it's glorious, like all mm, OLEDs. 4K OLED. But yeah. the bottom display is the same width, and it lines up perfectly with it, so that you can make an app, um, you know, basically cover both. Like you can spread an app over two. So now you have more vertical, so it's more than four-three aspect ratio. So if you're a coder, for example, that's one of the use cases that like mm. you can code and have two windows open, vertical windows that kind of span into the base of the laptop on that half display. Now both displays have touch. The half display at the bottom, like the touch bar, has like a matte finish, like it's etched so that there's no reflections. It's really weird. So it actually doesn't look very good, honestly, because <laughs> it's also an IPS, it's not an OLED. So it's a good, don't get me wrong, I'm sure it's a good IPS panel, but you know, putting an IPS panel like right next to an OLED panel is tough, right? Uh, you're not going to, calibration issues, brightness issues, and then this etching that makes it look matte. Uh, to present reflections is a real issue as well. So that's what they did. And then you're going to say, okay, I'd be totally on board with all that, even though the layout's a bit weird. If this had been like the, Mate, the Huawei MateBook X Pro, like a, a thin and light 15-inch laptop, like something that, you know, is powered by USB-C, has some kind of MX-based um, NVIDIA graphics, you know, and it's just a high-end Core i7 or something. You know, like what most creators use, like, you know, like David Kogan uses like a Razer gaming laptop, but it's this, this thing is bulkier than a Razer laptop. And this is, I'm talking about the, the slimmest Razer you can buy. So I was expecting it to be that form factor, like a slim Razer, like a Dell XPS 15, something that size. The thing is literally an inch thick, Jeez. has a NVIDIA <laughs> RTX some whatever it is gaming thing in there, like, and a Core i9. And I'm like, wait, and, they, and they're totally targeting creators. I'm like, this is a gaming laptop that should be an ROG product that you relabeled into a ZenBook. ZenBook is your ultra portable ultra book that you created the ultra book with Intel back with the Asus ZenBook, the original. Like you were the first to copy the MacBook Air and make a Windows laptop feel light and thin. And now you're shipping a ZenBook, branded ZenBook with an inch thick chassis. I, I am not on board. I understand where you're going with this, but creators don't need that kind of power. They do not need that kind of power. So here are the use cases. Three windows, four windows, so you can have the calibrated high quality graphics editing, video editing, whatever happening in the main window the, on the lid part. And the, the bottom display could have either Two, one panel, two panel, three panel. So they have this window manager that's optimized for placing these and memorizing, memorizing, memorizing the layouts. So you can switch between layouts. That's really cool. But then they have these apps you can install that are, I guess, as x86 helper apps for Excel, Word, PowerPoint, 
and uh, some of the Adobe apps. Mm -hmm. And basically they add controls. Interesting. Like the touch bar does that, you know, talk with via macros or some sort of when windows inter windows messaging or something to control like so you can do font size changes and you know all the all the shortcuts you see in your toolbars basically it's a toolbars uh, that can be laid out in that like a touch bar basically from apple but 10 times taller and then there is like other use cases where they're like say you're editing a photo you can have the source photo you're editing like the original that you're trying to like you know modify and sitting in one of those windows down there. Mm. So you can have a reference all the time. Uh, you can, for example, if you're like a, you know, power, power marketer, you know, you need to have a messaging app. You can have a little chat app running in one of these. And so they have all these use, and some of these use cases are perfectly valid. If you're a gamer, they have the game running on the main screen and then they have a Twitch stream of your front facing camera <laughs> showing you there and next to it, like the chat window for Twitch. Oh, wow. So like stuff like that. So there are use cases. I'm not saying the idea is bad. It's the implementation. The right. one inch thick, the specs they use Core i9, um, RTX. Yes, you can't do a gaming laptop with others, but this is not a gaming laptop. They should have sold this as a Zephyrus or ROG and then people would understand what it is. And if creators want to buy it, they can, you know, the thing has a power brick that's like both of my wrists together. Like it's, you put two, like put, put like, if you're listening right now, put your wrists in a ball and put them next to each other. That's how big the freaking power brick is. So not USB-C, I just don't understand it. So in summary, the use cases for the secondary screen are definitely more robust than what you might get on the, the uh, MacBooks oh, yeah. touch bar. But the device is suffering from poor ergonomics. It's a lot thicker than it should be. It's, the layout, uh, with the, 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 layout the trackpad on the right is kind of awkward for lefties, especially. Yeah, exactly. The keyboard is kind of shrunk, shrunk down. You have to buy like an extra wrist pad accessory that no one's going to buy. Um, you don't have to buy it, but, you know, it's available. It's available. Okay. And um, it might be in the box. Who knows? Yeah. And the branding is kind of weird. The branding is it weird shouldn't be a Zen book. It should, it should be, be ROG. ROG Zephyrus. And the other thing is we don't know price or availability. Okay. Or anything. And it could be very expensive because those specs are pretty. I mean, don't get me wrong. It's that Optane memory. This is a gaming laptop. Like, oh, I'm going to flip this stuff by this because I like my <laughs> ultralights, ultra things. And last year they gave us the ZenBook Pro with the screen pad where the touchpad was replaced by a screen and they kept it to be an ultra light. It mm -hmm. was, it was, it was core i9, but it was, right. it was like basically a highly spec MacBook pro mm -hmm. and in the same kind of super light and thin and portable chassis. I'm not sure if it had USB-C power, but it definitely had a smaller brick. Mm -hmm. And, and I'm like, what is going on here? Like, I don't understand it. And you, and I'm sure there's going to be some of these people listening to the show, some creators saying, but Miriam, don't you understand the reason Kogan uses a razor is because, you know, yeah, he wants that video card. He wants that performance. And I'm like, I get it. But most creators that I know will, tr will especially those travel up, will actually prioritize they'll compromise for some portability. Like they won't, I, I know very few that carry a gaming laptop when they go to all the trade shows when they're traveling every week, okay? Like there's not the reality. I'm an extremist because I have a MacBook 12 inch. I'm like going, I'm compromising way more than, than I should for the size and form factor. But, I, and I, there are some extremists that are going to go the other way, but I think for the creators are generally somewhere in the middle and this device is not in the middle. It really feels like a weird branding exercise. They even made it look like a Zen book. 
So, you know, spun metal finish, the, the polished machine bevels, edges. And if you look at it on a table, that the, the thickness is hidden by the, the way the edges are like tapered. And so you have to only, it's only when you lift it up that you go like, holy crap, this is a monster. But when you see it sitting somewhere, it actually looks like a, it looks like a Zen book. Yeah, I like definitely didn't get that like impression from the video that it was super thick. I'll definitely have to look up You know myself. what I'm saying? It's really weird. Like, I just don't understand it at all. So normally we get excited about Asus because, you know, they launch something that feels like it's pushing the envelope of, in every dimension. To right? the credit, Zenfone 6 looks incredible. I mean, it's cool. From an enthusiast standpoint. Headphone jack, expandable storage. So, so I was, you know, David, David is reviewing it. David ML is reviewing yeah. it for Android Authority right now. And so I got to play with it a little bit. And he's, the battery life is not there. It's really, yeah. I mean, we were side by side in use, usage. I was using the Honor 20 Pro as a Karen 980 and a 4,000 milliamp hour battery. And literally, I use 20% battery life constantly tweeting and Instagramming and posting live from two press conferences. And I use 20% of my battery life with hotspot turned on the whole time for my other phones. And he went through 50% on a 5,000 milliamp hour battery. Wow. So there's, I mean, maybe it's because it's an early build and software is not optimized yet, but I, I'm not, look, I'm, I'm I, I want to say I'm excited about Zenfone phone six. I like Asus phones. They're traditionally not the most exciting, but I do like them. Mm -hmm. And this one I'm more excited about because of the way the camera works and, you know, great selfies, big battery, headphone jack, good specs, good price. IPS is a bit weak, though. The brightness is, you cannot read this thing in direct sunlight. There's mm -hmm. no, absolutely no way. Max brightness is barely readable on ambient light. <laughs> like, it's, it's, <laughs> it's got some issues. And, and like, I'm okay, to, I'm okay with all that at $500. You make sacrifices. You made a sacrifice on the display. That's fine. But I feel like, you know, I'm a little less, my excitement is a little dampened now after having talked to somebody who I know I can trust on, you know, this, is this really delivering what we expect? And so, you know, I'm, let's see how it goes. I've, I don't think it's anything that can't be fixed in software and maybe the, a bit of more brightness can be eked out of that display. But I have a feeling that the reason it's not maxing out on brightness is probably because they're having battery life issues for whatever reason. I don't know why they would have battery life issues. It's Qualcomm Snapdragon 855. It's very efficient. Who knows? Um, it's stock Android though, so that's cool. Yeah. Right? All right. So anyway, so the ZenBook Pro Duo is an odd device. And yes, it, it's definitely different. And yes, it's definitely... You know, again, it's innovative, I agree, but the implementation seems very poor to me, more, more so than many ASUS implementations that have been poor in the past, because they've done some crazy stuff that hasn't really been useful. Now, the interesting thing is that ScreenPad that was only on the ASUS uh, ZenBook Pro last year, um, the 15 only, uh, is now available across the board on all ZenBooks. So if you buy ZenBook 13 for 2019, the new version that came out of Computex, it has the, the, so you can turn it off if you want. It looks like a normal trackpad or you can have a display on there. And it's like a, basically the Apple touch bar, but, and that actually, uh, you can mirror an actual window from windows on there, but mostly it's designed like it's got, they've created a little mini OS that runs on there that has like all these helper app, helper apps and it's all touch friendly. And, and, and in fact, that stuff is also available on the, the duo, right? Mm -hmm. So just you just have a bigger surface to play with. Um, so it's interesting that they're kind of pushing that. Also, the VivoBook S series, which is their mid-range, also all have it now. So they're going all out. They're 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 like sold on all their devices having that trackpad with a display in it. Oh, but at boy. least 
But at least it's in the middle and below the keyboard like it should be. So, yeah. And you can turn it off if you don't like it, but it's there. Um, so that's what we got from ASUS. We got the 30th anniversary triad of uh, motherboard, phone, and laptop. We got this ZenBook Pro Duo. And then, you know, there's a few little things that I mentioned in my video. Uh, new Wi-Fi 6 routers that have really cool mesh networking features. Um, give you much more control than the other mesh networked. You know, basically right now, mesh network routers like Eero or Google Wi-Fi or whatever are pretty much appliances, right? You plug them in, you get a mobile app, you can do configuration of basic right. things and you, you know, you forget about it. And Not most power users. 90% of people love that. And I think it's great. But ASUS lets you do that if you want, but you can also dig in and do some special configuration saying like, I want the backhaul to be over ethernet instead of over 5G. They have a dedicated dual 5G, no 5G, what am I saying? <laughs> Five, five gigahertz, gigahertz. <laughs> Wi-Fi 6 backhaul. They have a dual, dual five gigahertz backhaul radio setup. In addition to the 2.45 gigahertz actual connection, the devices to the network uh, on these new routes, it's pretty, pretty amazing. And so if you have a, they have this feature called AI mesh, which is a kind of own implementation of um, kind of self-configuring mesh. If you have an AI mesh router from last year, for example, which I think is when they introduced it, it will work with the new AI mesh routers. So all AI mesh routers will work together. So for example, if you bought a pair of AI mesh routers from ASUS last year and you're a baller and you just moved to a bigger house, you can buy the new generation Wi-Fi 6 AI mesh routers they just announced today. And you can use your old one as nodes somewhere else in the house and it will seamlessly make it all work so that even you there's a scale there's a drop in performance on those nodes it will just like make it work properly pretty cool um and then there's a, a couple of displays standalone wireless not wireless standalone battery powered portable displays then screens they call them which are there's a 15 point 16.5 inch i think or 15.6 inch uh touch screen four hour battery life um 1080p uh, USB type C and basically it's super thin, super light. Uh, looks like basically somebody ripped the lid off of a laptop and you, <laughs> you can plug that into a phone and whatever. Um, and then they have a 17 inch one, which is an ROG branded one, which has a 240 Hertz refresh. Wow. It's not 4k or anything, but 240 Hertz refresh on a thin light chassis with battery, four hour battery life on 240 Hertz. Pretty cool. Um, I kind of almost want to get one of those to carry around to keep in my hotel room to plug my MacBook into or, you know, some other laptops so have Better more real estate yeah. or double the real estate. And then they, that's basically, that's it. That's ASUS. That's basically what happens. As I said, not nearly as exciting as in the past when they've launched like ultra thin, ultra light, weird, like do last year they did a dual screen laptop. Basically what, what this ZenBook Pro Duo is, is, is three quarters of that laptop because it still has the keyboard. See, what I think they should have done is sold a laptop that has a screen on the lid and a screen on the bottom, like full screen, like uh, completely. And then imagine you have a very thin scissor mechanism overlay with little metal like conductive pads that touch the screen. And when you mount that on, you can mount it anywhere towards the lid or towards you. And then, then you have the other half of the display usable for, you know, like basically mm. a touch bar, but then you have a keyboard, you know, you can position it anywhere you want, you want and it yeah. knows, like it follows, it knows, it creates touch points underneath it. So the scissors key touch the screen and enable. And so you get, you know, the touch responsiveness, the 
the type responsiveness of a real keyboard. And if you want to try to light, you remove that accessory, you know, it, you know, it's super thin. You can put it in a, it comes this only little felt bag. You leave it in your bag or something. And you can use a laptop with a touchscreen typing on glass, or you put that thing on and you type on scissor keys. That's innovative. That would have been super cool in an ultralight or ultra thin form factor. Or they could have had, instead of the trackpad on the right, a trackpad you pull out from underneath the keyboard in the middle. Because the thing is, I think what they're headed to with this is you don't need a trackpad once you have touch screens everywhere. And, you know, it's like using an iPad. You don't need a trackpad for an right. iPad. And that's kind of where they're trying to go with this, I think. That's why the trackpad is relegated to the right side and it can be turned into a numpad if you want. Like it has a little button that turns into a numpad. Anyway, don't get it. Uh, well, that's so, actually a lot more news from Asus than I thought. Yeah, well, you know. Uh, so a couple of... Um, Fallouts from last week, um, we should really cover quickly, um, are the ARM, ARM. Uh, so last week when we recorded, Joshua and I, this happened while pretty much while we were recording. It's typical. So of course my recording then gets published two days later and then the news is not up to date. So as you know, the Huawei apocalypse, as I like to call it, is happening right now. It's a very, very sad state of affairs. This is Huawei being cut off by a lot of American companies. But in a big surprise move, ARM, which is a UK based company also cut off, um, Huawei saying that there's a lot of American technology or U.S. patents or something. So we don't know exactly what, what was cut off here. We do know that. Um, so under the the export regulations, that if any um, if anything is more than twenty five percent U.S. produced, then uh, that technology is subject to the new regulations. So the idea is that. Since ARM has multiple offices in the United States, I think six or more, um, it's possible that some of the technologies that they license to Huawei have parts of it originating from these offices, uh, maybe over 25%. And so their thought is that if we were to continue licensing to Huawei, that the Trump administration would slap us down. Weird. I mean, that one came out of nowhere for me. Like, I understand Google. I understand Microsoft. I understand Qualcomm. But ARM, I was like, what? And then, oh, yeah. you know, now we also have the SD Association who may, who certify SD cards and SD Correct. card readers. Although I don't think that's a huge deal uh, in the sense that they could create their own. They already have their nano memory anyway. Right. Um, but I mean, look, the the madness continues. It's I've covered this. I don't want to go in detail on this show because you listened to last week's with Joshua Vergara because we, we talked about this at length. This is bad news. Bad news for innovation, bad news for customers, bad news for the future of mobile because it affects it, it in the, the not only does it affect Huawei and it affects consumers and innovation, but it affects potentially it can have a snowball effect with all this trade war stuff that it's really being a peon of. Because if China decides to retaliate and, forget, for example, say to Apple, you can't manufacture in China anymore, you know, they're not going to be able to, in a day's turnaround, move to Vietnam or India where they could manufacture at pretty similar costs. It's going to be, we're going to see iPhone prices rise incredibly. We're going to see a lack of, uh, you know, availability of phones right. for a while. It would be a catastrophe. It would affect a lot of people. And that's not even the worst thing they could do. They could also hike, you know, taxes on rare earth. Oh, yeah. Like, you know, I, you know, I drive a Tesla and it's full of lithium batteries. Where does this lithium come from? Well, a lot of it comes from China. And so like that, I mean, there's so much. So Trump is playing with fire. He is really messing things up for everyone here. And hopefully, you know, it gets resolved somehow. Somebody finds some reason and 
It's not going to be him, but somebody <laughs> somewhere along the way finds because the damage is already done. That's the thing. Here we are a week later. Um, you're, so European like sales of Huawei and Honor devices in countries where where they were doing really well and were well received, like part of Europe, India, others, is already tanking. And so the damage is already done in the sense that even if everything gets reset to normal in the next week or two weeks or month or year even, um, you know, it's going to be, you're going to say, well, who cares? It's damage to Huawei. Why would you be so loyal? I'm not loyal to Huawei. I know that they, they are driving innovation. The reason Samsung has the Galaxy S10 being as good as it is out there this year is because Huawei laid a fire under their ass. The reason Apple is making that rumored of Apple uh, iPhone 11 with three cameras is because Huawei did three cameras. Okay. They are, these companies are not, Apple is no longer innovating as much as they did. And Samsung has sat on the laurels. We've seen it. Like the S8 and the S9 was just an evolution of the S8. I'm not saying those phones are bad. I like their phones. They're good devices, but the innovation has been driven by Huawei because they've been pushing hard on hardware, not software services, none of that. They don't know how to do that well. But, you know, imaging cameras, uh, just generally, like you look at the battery life and the performance of a Kirin 980 device, it is unbelievable. We're talking head to head with OnePlus, which is, in my opinion, the best implementation of any Android we have on Qualcomm chips. Wouldn't you agree? Right. Yeah. I mean, they, I mean, there are some like software tricks that they employ to give their yeah, I mean, Kirin 980 smartphones some like really good battery life. I you understand. know all that, but yeah. Yeah, you have to admit that the efficiency of the Kirin 980 I mean, chips is incredible. Every time I pick up, uh, it's like if you were to put a, a Huawei or Honor device in a case that I couldn't recognize and put a skin on it I couldn't recognize and you told me to use it, I would be able to, to tell you this is a Huawei device just because like there's a springiness to the app's loading speeds, to the scrolling speeds, to everything that is just really there. And then you look at the battery life. And it's really incredible. So as I mentioned earlier about the Zenfox Phone 6 yesterday, comparing with David Immel with my Honor 20 Pro side by side, like I was just like, I was blown away. I'm like, I cannot believe that I have hotspot turned on and I keep posting on Twitter. My screen on is on, on, on. I'm shooting photos, shooting photos, shooting photos, uploading, editing the photos, uploading as I'm going here. And my battery life is just like flatlining. It's not even moving, you know? It's crazy. Uh, a couple more things. Uh, we don't have a lot of time, but I want to maybe pick your brain on the ARM chip designs. So there's new ARM ARM designs chips. They don't manufacture them. They license their designs to other companies, including Huawei. Yeah. Uh, with the, so who's using them? Kir, uh, Huawei with the Kirins. Qualcomm uses them some of the lower end chips, and they did in the past, right? Um, at least the most of their CPUs are still cu are customized now. Yeah, but, like but, but but they did for a while go back. They went from Creo back to ARM designs for the 808 and the 810, right? Yeah, that was a few years ago. Yeah, a few years ago. But I, don't they have some 200s and 400s that are still running on ba basic ARM designs? I think so. Possibly. Anyway, Qualcomm a little bit. Samsung um, too. Samsung Exynos, uh, MediaTek runs their ARM designs, yeah. They don't, they don't customize. They don't have their own, do they? Okay. No. So basically, most of the ARM stuff out there, you know, ARM designs the, the architecture and manufacturers kind of do their spin on it, right? Exynos, right. Kirin, whatever. And so there's a new, a bunch of new designs and maybe you can jump in because you know more than, I didn't actually read this, but apparently that's the A77 and Mali G77. So yeah, the, uh, the Cortex A77 is their new CPU design. Um, CPU side, there haven't been that many improvements uh, in comparison to the previous generation from the 
from the A75 to the A76, that was a huge jump. And that's yeah. why we saw like such incredible numbers from Qualcomm and, and Huawei with the Snapdragon 855 and the Kirin 980. That's why they were able to make such huge generational but leaps. Qualcomm doesn't use their designs. Uh, well, I mean, they're still based on Based that, on that, right? okay. But um, the A77 just increases the, like, I think overall 20% on the same like uh, maximum CPU frequency of three gigahertz, um, just better IPC, um, just not significantly better overall in CPU size, not really much to talk about. What, uh, what, what, what do you think the, re the results are gonna be for the average user once we see chips that implement that architecture? Better battery life? So just more perform like more efficiency, better uh -huh. battery life, just better we, web browsing I think they were in talking, general. They're talking about, um, uh, neural networks and machine learning optimized compute stuff, right? To yeah. better use of compute resources for those kind of problems. Right. The, the biggest jump, though, is on the GPU side. So that's entirely new with the G7 architecture, yeah. right? With their, um, they're calling like their, the new architecture line the Valhalla, just like the anglicized, uh, <laughs> more commonly known as Valhalla. Yeah. You've probably heard of that. Uh, but that's their biggest jump because for years they've been behind Qualcomm and more recently, Apple with their GPU designs. But this is going to give a huge jump. I think overall 30% more power efficient, 30% better power uh, performance density, um, just way better than their previous generation. So on the upcoming Kirin 985, which likely uses the G77. If it you know, ever makes it a device that we can get. Yeah, we've, we, I mean, we've known Huawei to be one of the like the first customers of ARM licensed designs to implement their designs into like their newest chips. So if we do see the Kirin 985 and possibly the Huawei Mate 30, if that ever comes about, you know, <laughs> we'll see some huge performance um, bumps in terms of gaming performance. That's good to know. Um, so yeah, um, look, it's ARM rules, as I always say, ARM rules the world. If you're not on board, if you think that all this Intel bashing, it's not, it's not Intel bashing. Intel had Xscale, they had their ARM division, they got rid of it. That was, even back then when iPhone wasn't this, even back then when I think Simeon phones were barely at the beginning of their days, smartphones were barely existent, I back then, shook my head and said, this is the stupidest mistake you've ever done, Intel. And I still, I still, I still stand by that, by, that, by that belief. I think that Intel should have continued licensing ARM and creating their own designs. And even if it's to use in hard drive controllers or whatever, like it is critical to have an ARM uh, you know, ecosystem if you're a chip manufacturer today. And they are, right. I think they're, they're, They're hurting. hurting on both ends, from smartphone, uh, from Qualcomm moving up, and from AMD coming down on them. They're so, hurting from both ends. So basically, I'm like, I, I, you know, I like Intel. I like the, they're good people, but like, and you know, they're based in in Oregon, where I have a residence. I want to support them, but get your s together, okay, Intel. <laughs> get buy an ARM license and start making ARM chips. I know you can. You don't have to give up x86. I mean, lots of good use for x86 on servers and other mission critical. I mean, my Tesla is an x86 based, uh, uh, you know, compute for the for the main screen, and it's really responsive and nice. I don't know. I mean, you can make it's fine. Just we need some ARM chips, okay? Um, last thing is some rumors of TikTok. So TikTok, oh boy! <laughs> I mean, we're just gonna glance all this because we gotta we gotta wrap up, but. 
TikTok, the company who makes, well, company's not TikTok. called TikTok. TikTok is in video. Dance. Yeah, thank yeah. you. Video app, right? Very popular in Asia, particularly. Um, and there are rumors that they're going to make a phone. So uh, the rumors are <laughs> that the founder is just, it's like his pet project. Okay. He just wants to make a phone. Sounds like Jeff Bezos and Amazon back in the day. The problem we've seen with uh, company like service branded phones is that they focus really on the services first and they put their user experience second. Yeah. And we've seen it fail many times before. Amazon, we saw the HTC, Facebook, the, the Facebook phone, the that failed. First. The Amazon Fire phone was a flop. Was it HTC first? Was yeah, HTC first. Oh, God, I had one of those for a while. Ugh, terrible. Um, it just wasn't a good there phone, is, even standalone. Even if I you put stock I mean, Android on it. The ecosystem has changed a bit, and um, they're supposedly using technology they picked up from Smartisan. They're like a Chinese yeah, brand, so and they actually they actually make some really decent phones in China. I just never had yeah, a chance yeah. to use Smartisan them. Smartisan makes, uh, you know, remember Energizer launched all these phones, right? Uh, Avenir or whatever that French company that that makes Energizer. Yeah, phones. yeah, Avenir. Avenir licenses Smartisan designs. Actually, if you look at all the the Energizer brand phones, they're just rebranded Smartisans. Mm -hmm. So Smartisan, which my friend Richard Light in Gadget uh, always likes to rant and rave about. He actually more raves than rants about them. So he, he kind of hooked me up. Like he said, like, you should check it out. But of course, I don't have access to them. But, you know, when I'm in Hong Kong, visit him and stuff. He shows me and it's cool. But that's the news. That's what we've got for you today. So a lot of uh, a lot of kind of rah, 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 Qualcomm marketing, but well-deserved, I think. And then and thanks for, to Don for being on and. You know, thanks to you, Michelle, for being on and, and bringing the voice of reason, the voice of uh, of uh, XDA to the uh, to the <laughs> table. Uh, do you want to tell people where they can find you on social and, you know, also pimp your blog? And I mean, obviously, no, everybody knows XDA. If you're not knowing XDA and you listen to this podcast, come on, XDA developers. It's not really hard to find me. I'm not found on like multiple different social media websites. You can just hit me up on Twitter at Michelle Rahman, M-I-S-H-A-L-R-H-M-A-N. And then that's pretty much the only social media that I use to like tweet my thoughts. And I don't, I'm not going to clog your, your Twitter feed up with my personal thoughts on politics or gaming or anything like that. So follow me if you want to see some news on occasion, if I guess. You want, <laughs> if you want to get some nerdy, and I'm not saying nerdy in a bad way because I'm a big nerd myself. Um, if you want to see the, the nerdest take on the phone news, XDA developers and Michelle is your answer, I would say. That's right? definitely true. That's fair, right? That's, that's fair. Okay. Uh, you know, you know all the way to find me on, on the internets. I'm at Tankerl. That's T-N-K-G-R-L on both Twitter and Instagram. Uh, so Twitter is where I post most of my like announcements around the, the podcast. If you want to interact with me and comment on the podcast, since there's no commenting possibilities, it's audio podcast, go on Twitter and talk to me at Tank Girl. And then Instagram is where I put pretty pictures of things, uh, phones. I, I like to take sexy pictures of devices and my travels. So check that out. There's also a YouTube channel that goes alongside the podcast. It's called just Miriam Joar, like youtube.com slash Miriam Joar, my full name spelled out. You can find out how to spell my name by going to Twitter and looking at my name and spelling it out without a space. Um, and, and you'll get like unboxing videos, hands-on videos, uh, sometimes reviews, but basically just like what videos that give you visuals to go along with the podcast. If you want to see uh, a phone that we're talking about on the show, go to the YouTube channel. Chances are I'll have a video about that device. Um, also, um, if you stumbled upon the podcast by accident, you're like, oh, this is cool. I want to listen to it again. 
mobiletechpodcast.com is the URL. So you'll find the RSS feed there. And if you don't know what I'm talking about and you're just using podcast apps, we're on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Overcast, uh, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, which is exciting. That's a pretty recent addition. So you can listen to the show there and subscribe there. Uh, I also want to thank our sponsor, Audible. Audible.com is the platform for audiobooks. If you like books, but for some reason you're driving all day and you can't read a Kindle or read paper books and you want to get your, your fix, you know, Audible is the platform. They have the best selection of audiobooks. A lot of them are read by really great narrators, often the authors of the books themselves, which is really great. And, uh, you know, great selection and generally a great platform. So the goal, the good news is that if you want to join Audible, there is a 30-day free trial in the show notes, and I'll give you the URL in a second, that lets you join Audible and get basically 30 days to try it out. Uh, it's audibletrial.com slash mobile tech. That's audibletrial.com slash mobile tech. So check out Audible, and I want to thank them for being our longtime sponsor. Thanks, Audible. And of course, thanks, Michelle, for being on the show, and thanks, Don, earlier. Appreciate Thank you for it. having me on, Miriam. Absolutely. We'll have you on again sometime. Hopefully. Yeah. No, absolutely. And then in the meantime, you know that we're going to do a show next week. So stay tuned for that, everyone. And cheers. This has been the Mobile Tech Podcast with Tank Girl, proudly presented by worldpodcasts.com. You can visit us online at mobiletechpodcast.com.